Well, it's brilliant to be here. I, uh, I love to uh, meet with other people who are pioneering and, and creative and, and trying to push the boundaries of the church, because that's my heart, really. Uh, just a little bit about me, a bit of background. When I left university in 95, uh, I, I think probably if I was leaving university today, there'd be a lot more options open to me. But back then, it was very much a conventional road to church leadership or else nothing at all. And so back then I thought, well, do I need to be, do I need to have anything like a dog collar or be ordained to do what God's calling me to do? And no. And it, in fact, I felt it really freed me up. And so I, I was employed, uh, which I, so I convinced Litchfield Diocese to employ me to set up a youth project in uh, a UPA in Stoke, Stoke-on-Trent, which is where I grew up, and I'd spent 18 years trying to get out. And then I went to uh, uh, university and then came back. So it was, uh, it was a bizarre experience for me, but it was, a, it was an amazing time trying to set up uh, this, this project and building a team. And I'll come back onto, onto that in a little while. And it was a really exciting time because there was lots of new stuff going on, uh, reaching a lot of young people, and then uh, after that, a lot of children as well. And uh, it was uh, a fantastic time and a fantastic team. And I, during that time, I met my wife, Kate, and we married, and then she uh, went off to train at St John's College, Nottingham, to uh, for day ministry. And I, during that time, I moved into more creative work with worship and that's when I started writing on worship and uh, and uh, trying to take worship on I think in the Church of England from where it got to and at the time common worship, something called common worship had come out and it, it gave a fantastic opportunity with a new set of texts to do something new and creative with that and so I was involved uh, in that side of things as well and then work took us to Luton and then to Cambridge, and that's where I trained uh, at Ridley Hall in Cambridge because I felt God calling me to, to be a leader in the church. And then from there we moved to Wolverhampton, I served a curacy, and then I moved to, uh, well, we all moved, to a place called Baston Hill, which is in Shrewsbury, and we moved there in the late summer of 2010. And I've gone to Baston Hill very much to pioneer but within the parish system. I, my particular calling is for one that I, I want to radically change and inspire the mainstream. I don't want fresh expressions to be some kind of add-on. I don't want it to be a pocket. I don't want it to be something that doesn't change everything else. I want the, the movements that are going on in the church, the inspirational work, the pioneering the prophetic voices, I want them to make a difference to the shape of church today, full stop, not a tiny bit of church. So for us as a church at the moment, we're exploring how can we be mission-shaped community in this particular context that we find ourselves. And so we, we, we're doing that together and we're beginning to flesh out our vision priorities. But when Mike asked me to come and speak here and to to discuss things with you. Um, he asked me to do one very simple thing. In past and present parishes, how have fresh expressions or pioneering 
work started and grown. And I've literally, I just took a, a couple of hours the other day thinking through, and I found it really helpful actually, to think of some of the things that have helped along the way and some of the mistakes that have been made and the ways in which I and others have learnt from those. So I'm just going to share them with you and then we can chat about those later and you can ask any questions you want to of me. I think one of the things I learnt early on was the importance of gaining respect in any community. And I found that in Stoke. Uh, and one of, the op- one of the opportunities that came along, there was uh, an ex-coal mining estate which was part of the parish and we um, we were working with a, a, a beacon what they called a beacon school on that estate so it was children were coming in below the national average and they were leaving above the national average so that meant that the government called them a beacon school and I was a governor at that school and we were working really closely it felt for all intents and purposes like a church school there was a Christian head and we were able to really build a a good relationship. But that gave us avenues into the community. It gave us a network to work with and relationships flourished in that that setting. And from there, we we were invited onto uh, a neighbourhood group that was part of this regeneration project that the local authority were were running. And we got invited uh, into that And from there, we started, um, again, building more relationships and gaining trust, and and, and that was a really good opportunity. And from that then came other spin-off projects, um, which were about youth work and youth (coughs) focus, and we even got to the point where we were going to buy a disused pub in the parish, this huge pub, and we were going to make that into some kind of venue where we could do, basically, fresh expressions of church. But unfortunately, the young people burnt it down before we could even buy it, which was a, it was a, a sad state of affairs. But that taught me early on, I think, that gaining respect is key. And then having moved to Baston Hill and having a church school in the parish, again, uh, there was natural opportunities that presented themselves. And we have um, had lots of opportunities this year for that. There's uh, a new school building been um, built four million pound building for this new school fantastic facilities but it wasn't finished after easter and the children were going going to go back after easter holidays and there was three days where the the building wasn't finished the keys couldn't be handed over because it wasn't safe and so we as a church said well come into this to the church building we'll look after the children the teachers can unbox stuff they can get their classrooms ready and we had a skeleton staff and, uh, and we, we got retired teachers and, and others from, from the parish and the local, uh, well, the local community and, and the church community as well. And we, we ran activities for the children in there. And from that, the parents really began to trust us a lot more and the relationship has flourished. Another point I wanted to make was developing excellent links with schools. Wherever possible, I would always do that. I think there is so much scope. I was talking to a guy yesterday who's in a, what we might call a conventional curacy, and he was frustrated because um, the training incumbent had said to him, actually, I want you to do something else. I don't want you to go into the local school 
to do an assembly. And he said, well, what is that? What is it that you want me to do? And he said, I want you to uh, take a funeral. We've got a lot of those come in. And he was reflecting with me about how he only gets one opportunity a term, possibly two opportunities in a whole year, to go into that school. And he was being asked to do something that he does three or four times a week anyway. And he was really quite frustrated about that. And I was frustrated as well, because as far as the opportunities go, that's about (laughs) as good as it gets. And um, that was a shame. So that's one thing, another thing I've learned. Linked to this is growing networks. From here, whether that's with Facebook, just through messy church, conversations at the school gate, at, at the row of shops, it's getting about and chatting with people, it's invaluable. And I think a lot of church work is hidden and not necessarily anything we can do about that, but we can become a public face and we can um, make ourselves known and we can begin to build friendships and relationships. And I think that's key. I don't think we should ignore that. And sometimes the pressures of work and ministry can put that down the agenda. And sometimes things bring me up a bit sharp and remind me, no, it's, what, it's getting to know people that matter. And uh, so I go back to doing that a little bit more. Getting to know networks, getting part, to be a part of networks is crucial, but also getting a feel for the community. And if you're going to contextualise uh, the gospel, if we're going to um, help people to pull the gospel out of the, the culture that they know, the world in which they live, then I think getting to know the community is also a crucial part of ministry getting to know what matters, the values that that community embody, the way that they go about things, the traditions they have even, it all is an important part of the jigsaw and it will be crucial if you're going to then become a listening ear and a listening church community in that place. If you're listening to that community, listening to the needs of the community, getting to know them and getting a feel of that place, I think is crucial and I've been doing a lot of that over the last year and something that's uh, <laughs> really uh, surprised me in a way but not in other respects is the value of Facebook and increasingly this year that's become true so the PTA at school or the parish council and all their followers that are on Facebook and so we, don't, we naturally communicate with one another about all sorts of stuff But then when you're doing that, when you input something, people stop and listen, and then they talk to you about it. So, for example, one of our friends who comes to Messy Church, she won a competition with the butchers to make her own sausages. So she came up with this new recipe, and she went into the the village butchers, and she was making these sausages. So she put all this information out on Facebook, and everybody said, well done you, we can't wait to taste them, when are they on sale, etc., etc. And then... All sorts of conversations came from that. And the next thing you know, well, why don't we eat the sausages at Messy Church? Why aren't they part of the menu? And then it, and it, and it went from there. And it wasn't anything we were doing, but it was just that we were part of the, this network. It's a simple idea, but it, but it, it's, it, it works. And it's, and it's how uh, people are communicating. When I was in Stoke, I mentioned that we had an amazing team, and we really did. And I, if I was to stop and think what made that team... It would be very difficult to pinpoint. 
but we had an amazing togetherness. It was about 40, 45 people. And the number of projects that we became involved with was, was quite amazing. And we had a core of people who were involved in quite a number of projects. And then we had um, additional ones who come in to, to, to be involved in, in, in various projects or ongoing work. So back then we had an open youth drop-in for about 80 or 90 kids in this UPA. And we'd have uh, some retired people. They'd be running the kitchen, making the hot dogs and the burgers and all of that. And then we'd have other people who were part of the assembly team and they'd take out regular assemblies for local schools. But it, it, it grew and it was vastly important to the work. And meeting together and praying together and growing together was an important part of our ministry. And from that time on, I think, I've become more and more aware of the value of teams and how important it is in ministry to well, to give ministry away, to give leadership away. It's no point trying to keep hold of it and, and keep it for ourselves. I think it's, it's all about giving it away. So I've told Christchurch Baston Hill when I arrived on my first Sunday that I'm not there to stroke inherited church. My job is not to encourage the idea that they are there to help my ministry. I am there to help and facilitate theirs. And that's only, that, I think, is it's quite a subtle difference, but it's quite uh, a significant one. And I think in quite con- conventional churches, inherited churches, you find the, the pyramid idea of leadership is uh, still dominant. So the, the church leader at the top and everybody else helping them achieve their ministry. The ministry that, if it wasn't for all these people, would stop at the, at the vicar or the church leader or the pastor and it would land on their desk. When I, I think what Mission Shaped Church calls for is the, is the bottom-up approach that says we are here to fuel, resource, inspire and encourage your ministry. And I think in building teams, that is crucial. So I meet with all ministry coordinators in our church I meet with the staff team in the new year I'm I'm going to implement uh, termly meetings which are going to be called leadership development uh, meetings and and it will be just about that leadership development where we all want to learn and grow together as a leadership and take our leadership onto a new level of of effectiveness for want of a better word so I think in growing teams, wanting to move on together and wanting for, to facilitate the ministry of others is a, is a key part of that. Not keeping it for ourselves like some kind of precious jewel. Uh, part of this is identifying and equipping leaders, and I've touched on that just. I think that's something I'm spending more and more of my time doing, and I'm becoming increasingly aware, aware that I need to resource myself if I'm going to be mentoring and inspiring and developing the leadership of others. And, uh, and I was toying with the idea a few weeks ago of not meeting with any people for a, a month or a couple of months so that I could do some reading, I could do some praying and thinking about how I could best be, uh, resource them. And if I'm better able to do that, then that better serves them.
So uh, I would always encourage people to do that, identify and equip leaders. I think if when we're starting fresh expressions of church or we're pioneering um, church plants or whatever it is we're doing, I think it's important to incorporate values of church from the earliest possible moment. I've seen far too many churches struggling with um, growing the community, taking it on to um, deeper discipleship because the values of church weren't followed from the beginning. So I had a conversation with somebody a couple of weeks ago and they were saying to me, "How this was in regard to another messy church, but how, how do I... How do I move it on from being a club? And I said, well, just tell me, tell me about this. And they said, well, we, we charge people to come in. We give them a ticket. And when we've got enough people, we turn them away. Because we can't handle any more than about 80 people. And I said, well, I'm not sure that's church. Because I'm not sure we can turn people away if it's church. I'm not sure we can charge people or give them a ticket if it's church. But there's other values that make up church and on which church should be and ought to be built and so then this whole conversation came from that but you need to decide from whatever tradition you come from and whatever context you find you find yourself in what are the values of church that you need to embody and encapsulate in that particular place that God has placed you to be a minister what are the values of church that you're going to build in Uh, to this community part of that I think is always aiming to build sacramental communities now you we don't necessarily need to force the issue here and ensure that you know the first time people meet that it's a BCP communion Um, I'm not saying that at all but I think if you go in knowing that at some point you're going to be baptising, you're going to be gathering people around the Lord's table, then brilliant, you know, go for it. But it, at the earliest possible time, you, you, and from day one, you have in mind, this is a sacramental community where people can get their hands on the grace of God. And I think that's a, that's a crucial part of of church life so now we are in our own messy church that's been going a year now we are um, beginning to baptise we're, we're marrying we're, we're you know, celebrating communion so we, we need, we're taking that on uh, on board ourselves as well another point I wanted to highlight was uh, generous hospitality I don't think you can beat it actually if you're whatever you're doing if you're doing it to the best standard you can possibly muster not to kill yourself in the process but if you're you're doing it to bless people's socks off and to just look after them then that speaks volumes to people and in Baston Hill where I am at the moment it's something that the church the existing church community finds quite easy they're naturally gifted at it. Hospitality they could do in their sleep. And they're amazing. So for messy church, 
we, we have a sit-down meal for 120 people. Now, that takes some organising, and they do it brilliantly. But that then has um, the effect of, of really looking after people. And people are more likely to gossip about it, chat about it, invite other people along to it, because it's just so, so good. And again, back in Stoke, when we were, um, when we were growing church um, in the UPA area there, something we found very quickly is if we can, if we can put on a good spread, we can, uh, we can do things to the best of our ability, then people know that and they, they appreciate it. And, uh, and I think that's a, that's a, it's a good part of ministry. I think worship is a key part of pioneering and this is a bit of my a bit of a hobby horse for me but I and I lament the thought that we've become so focused on mission that we neglect that mission is a part of worship if you like or or it you know or it's equally important if you want to look at it another way but for me confident contextualized worship is the key but more than this, I think confident contextualised worship that takes with it uh, the rich heritage that, we've in, uh, that has been passed on to us. So it's balancing culture with tradition for me. And a friend of mine said to me several years ago now, I think, Tim, in church, what we need to be doing is we need to bend it like Beckham. And what he meant was that if you want to, um, if you want to be able to take a free kick like David Beckham, you've really got to know how to kick a football. And in the same way, if we're pioneering church plants, we're trying to be creative, we're trying to uh, push the boundaries, reimagine the shape of church today, then I think we need to know how to kick the liturgical football. We need to know the shapes, the frameworks, the traditions that have got us to where we are as a worshipping community today. Now, I don't mean for that to be some kind of straitjacket and some limitations slapped on you that really frustrate you within a minute. But I'm I'm meaning things that help you to know um, uh, what you're building on healthy foundations, the values of of worship, a theology of worship, some good frameworks to use. And within those frameworks, you can be as creative as you want to, but you know that these frameworks have stood the test of time. So even at its simplest, we could could go a long way to find something better than that fourfold uh, worship pattern of gathering, engaging, responding and sending. And we can do so much in that. And we can mix it up. And we can do a lot of reimagining within that framework. But somehow, it helps us take with us that rich heritage that we have. And I think um, a lot of the time we do so much contextualising and enculturation that we neglect a lot of the resources that have been passed down to us through the ages. One of the things I learnt early on was to try and develop 
patterns of worship that connected with culture, but also um, took with us uh, and allowed us to shape in it some of the traditions from the past. And when Mike Moyner and I, well, it wasn't long after we got to know each other, about 10 or 11 years ago, that, and with conversations with Pete Ward, that we began talking about liquid worship. And then Mike and I wrote on it, and then we did some various training on it and another uh, speaking on it. But it was a way in which we celebrated diversity, which I think is something that culture finds very easy these days. Allowing for difference is something that um, culture finds quite natural. And yet the church, particularly in heritage church, finds that very difficult. We sit in rows, we stare at the back of somebody's neck, and, and by doing the same thing at the same time, that's community. Well, I, I just think that's absolute claptrap. I mean, there's nothing community-building about that. There's no, no rela- relational aspects to worship. And so I, I want to encourage us to be more creative about worship than that. And also, singing. You know, I, I'm a musician... I, I write songs, but I, I don't want a singathon, and I'm sure a lot of people uh, don't want a singathon either. So, how do we allow for difference? How do we allow in worship for different personality types, different life situations, different spiritual journeys, different place on a spiritual journey? How do we allow for all of that difference? And in a one size fits all context, that's very dif- difficult, I think, where we do expect everybody to do the same thing at the same time. I think liquid worship has a lot to offer there. Different, it's nothing new. Different worship stations, different zones, whatever we call them, different ways of engaging in worship that will allow people to be who they are at that particular time, in that particular place. And in doing that, we can take with us all sorts of traditions. So we can get people holding a cross or lighting a candle. You could give people the option of saying a prayer uh, from the Book of Common Prayer, we could, or uh, saying a prayer from uh, Iona Community, or whatever it is, we can do all sorts of stuff. We can, if you like, draw from the the different resources that we have available to us, but we do it in a culturally relevant way. And a lot of people say, but how does that that actually separates community by allowing for difference? And I don't think so. I think in allowing for difference, the sense of community is heightened. We only have to look at the Trinity to see that. Three very different personalities, three very different movements, if you like, in dancing a different rhythm, but put them together and they are one. And I think we can learn a lot from uh, a theology of the Trinity in our worship. I think another thing I wanted to highlight today was the importance of working with, not against, church structures and systems. Like I said, I'm called to radically reshape mainstream church for today and not simply add in a bit of pioneer ministry here or a fresh expression there. And so if you're looking for a place to go, I would would always encourage you to look where that is the remit you're being given. Not just to satisfy someone's guilty conscience and, and have a little bit of, of a fresh expression or uh, 
or a church plant initiative, but some, somewhere where you are radically building church in a place that um, com- a, a whole community or a whole parish is committed to supporting you in that. I think that's crucial. So for us, at the moment, we're, we're doing several things. Like I say, we're working through our vision priorities at the moment, and, and our top priority is thinking outside the box and taking church to the people. That, that is it as a church. And that sets the agenda of, of what we're about. We have our vision framework, which is our long-term objectives, and that, that's helping us keep us on track. And as Johnny mentioned, we're, at the moment we're trying to appoint a pioneer minister to um, grow and nurture communities for young adults and, and some teens as well. The bishop's very keen for us to do this. He wants us to help shape and influence the way in which we're going to be growing church communities for the younger generations, not just in that area, but across the diocese. We don't want to do youth work anymore because youth work doesn't necessarily imply that we're doing anything about growing the church. It does an important part of reaching young people, spending time with them, building relationships with them, but it doesn't necessarily imply building church. And that's what we're about. So we want to appoint somebody who, is, who has that heart and that passion. But more than this, we want that person to grow new leaders, young adult leaders, and also to grow and identify and grow young adult church planters who can be trained and ordained then to go and plant another church community for their peers. So it's quite an exciting project. It's got a big vision because potentially it could go who knows where. And we haven't necessarily tied it down. And we're just, we're, well, we didn't appoint the first time because the people who applied didn't necessarily capture that vision for how it needs to grow and how it needs to reshape church today. So it is that radical as far as Litchfield Diocese go. And we can all... Um, share experiences of how there's more creative projects than this but I think that's, that's the key for me is reshaping inherited church so that we can make it mission shaped for today I think having your eye on where you are but also where you want to go will help always ensure that things move on so vision is crucial having a vision that you stick to is crucial. And I think having a vision that's collaborative is key. Um, I was at a uh, meeting of what's called the larger church vicars in the Litchfield Diocese um, a few weeks ago. And what struck me about that meeting was how the vicars all talked about, oh, you don't do anything in your first year. You don't change anything in your first year. You don't start to uh, move things on until after you know the place. And I'm sure that to some degree that's very true. But that all implied that it was the vicar or the leader who was going to go in there and start doing all the change and start telling people what to do. And I, I felt that was more management type speak than leader speak for me. There was nothing about inspiring vision 
There was nothing about vision casting. There was nothing about a collaborative vision. And this year, I've seen again the importance of having a collaborative vision. We've had, we had a 12-week uh, period where we, we looked at key aspects of what it, would, what it is to be a mission-shaped church. So from worship through to our finances, and we got into small groups and we discussed this. We didn't want individual feedback. We wanted people to hear each other's point of view. And we wanted them to dialogue about that and then give collective feedback. And then we uh, got all that back together. And then um, one of our PCC, our church leadership, very uh, gifted strategic thinker, collated the information, started to see patterns, and then got the leadership together to begin to draw out what were the priorities that we we felt God was calling us to uh, address as a church community. It's a fascinating process and amazing as well and and a few friends said to me how did you do that I would just be so afraid that what was going to come back was not what I wanted which is quite um, uh, uh, I think uh, illustrative but anyway but I felt that giving people a voice and allowing them to contribute to it far outweighed any fears that I might have and I can't say that there's one thing in that, those vision priorities that I couldn't hand on heart say I love and I want to follow and in fact all the vision priorities when I read them for the first time I thought you know what that's a church I want to be part of a church that wants to think outside the box that's for me a church that wants to take church to the people yep I can sign up to that that's good so I think a vision that you can stick to and come up with together is important So, so what problems did I face this year and before that in other parishes? What, what did we have to overcome? I think teams, whilst they're a brilliant thing, can also be a complete nightmare. And I'm sure if we all went round this room we could relay nightmare tales of teams we've been part of that have just gone belly up for all sorts of reasons, usually relationship difficulties. But teams can make and break church plants, they can make and break ministry, projects, anything. The more time you can invest in spending time together, um, the better, really. When I worked for Holy Trinity Cambridge, um, Rupert, who's the vicar there, did an amazing job. growing a a student church he always got his staff team around the table on Monday lunchtime for a meal and it's a simple thing but when you're sat opposite somebody sharing a meal with them it's ever so difficult (laughs) to be out of sorts with them without actually explaining why it is and that taught me a great lesson that I've carried with me all this time spending quality time with people who you are on a team with is is crucial and it can help overcome all the problems that no doubt we face on a daily basis as I've said ensuring that fresh expressions are church from day one I wish back in Stoke in 95 but I, I didn't have the experience then when I was in my early 20s I wish I hadn't set up that open youth drop in I wished I'd have made it church 
right from, right from the start. Because it was all well and good to get people uh, playing table tennis and round the snooker table and on the, the games console. And that was great, and I got to know the young people. But then moving on from there, that was always the challenge. And back then, the thinking was, well, if we're meeting all the, you know, we're spending all this money and all this time meeting these people on a, uh, these young people on a Friday, why aren't they coming to church on a Sunday? Well, and that's the age-old problem, isn't it, of bridging that gap of inherited church. But for me, build church where they are. And that's, that's our motto, isn't it? So I wished I'd done that, that back then. I wished I'd built church where those young people were. But I didn't. But I learned from it. Growing disciples, I think, is a key thing. And it's a challenge. It's something our children's missioner is facing at the moment. She pastors the messy church community that we have, 120-odd um, adults and children. And... Um, you know, that's one of the large, she pastors one of the largest congregations in our, in our deanery, in our section of the Church of England. So she's learning on the job, if you like, and she's now grappling with the issue of how do I disciple these people? How do I help them to follow Jesus? How do I help them to give more of their lives to him and commit to him? And that's a, that's a problem that we're facing but I think the, the sooner we can do that, the better. Because otherwise, you, you've got to face it at some point. And uh, the community may fizzle out in the meantime if it doesn't. I think authentic, authentic leadership is key as well. So one question I'm grappling with at the moment is, if we've got our children's missioner who pastors Messy Church, what's my role as the vicar? Where do I fit in as a priest? Surely if she's the pastor of that community, she ought to be gathering people around the Lord's table. She ought to be baptising these people. But then there's all sorts of hurdles standing in the way of that and obstacles. So these are the, the, the ecclesiological questions that we're grappling with at the moment. And again, maybe it would have helped to have thought about some of these questions before we even started but we need to do that. And uh, I think we're beginning to learn lessons already about that. I think a limited vision is always going to give problems where fear drives what we do or don't do. And I, I've seen that time after time. I'd rather have the courage and have a go and fail than not to have a go and and failing probably um, just, just as much because it's a, it's a sad reality that so many churches are held back because people don't have the courage or they're not encouraged to, to take things further. I think frustrations of working with people who aren't on the same page as me has caused all sorts of difficulties. I remember in my curacy, and my training vicar would, would probably agree that a good proportion of the friction that existed between us, and there wasn't a huge amount at all, and we had a good relationship, but it, it was there because we weren't on the same page with regarding how we were going to go about nurturing church. And I think being aware of that 
talking about that and helping each other know each other's perspectives uh, is a key part of, of that work. Time restrictions as well, I think, can be a real limitation. Some of you might be planting churches or nurturing fresh expressions where you still have to do some work with inherited or existing church. And you might feel the pull. You might feel it's sucking you and sucking the life out of you. And it's important to recognise that and, and know where your priorities are so that you can resist stuff and you can resist pulls on your time. Because the thing... And Johnny would, I'm sure, agree with this. The thing about inherited churches because it's a few providing it for the many, you know, it's resource-hungry. It is vastly resource-hungry. And there is always a need for somebody to cover one of those jobs. And I would say resist that. Resist stroking inherited church if your calling is to be on the edge, a prophetic voice, pioneering. Go for that. Do what God is calling you to do. And never compromise because once you begin to compromise, then I think it's a slippery slope. And I would always encourage balancing enculturation with spiritual content. Resist the urge to over-contextualise, to make it too palatable and ignore the challenge of the gospel. Or to neglect that the rich spiritual aspects of, of the gospel that we proclaim. And that affects our worship too. We want worship with consequences. We want to send people out different to how they came. So that's it. Those are the things. And I found that Honestly, I'm so grateful to have come because that allowed me to sit and reflect on these things. And it's helped me a lot. And, uh, and as I was writing this list uh, on, my, um, on my computer yesterday and writing them in my notebook over the weekend, I was also writing another list of things I need to address because of these things. So it's always good to reflect. It's always good to stop and think.